really excited, exciting panel for everyone. Um, I'm Michael Gold. I'm with Redbeard Ventures as a, rent, as a venture partner. I also uh, teach uh, at the intersection of real-time 3D and AI at the School of Visual Arts and been an entrepreneur for a long time. Um, really excited to introduce my panel to you and I'll let I'll let them kick it off and introduce themselves and we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. We got a lot to cover. We only got 30 minutes to do it. Jerry. Great. Well then I'll go. I'm Jerry Ellsworth. Uh, I'm from Tilt Five. Uh, we're uh, designing and building and shipping a, a low-cost uh, group-based uh, AR headset um, really focused on multi-user experiences. And here's the device right here. Um, exciting uh, uh, partnerships coming up this next year. I can't wait for you all to see, which is really going to change the price point of AR. Awesome. Mark? Hi, all. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm the co-founder of Avatar One. We create VRM fully rigged avatars and then combine them with AI uh, for you to create any kind of chatbot or AI companion you would like and in fully immersive 3D. Um, also coming soon, available in AR and VR. Hi, everyone. Awesome. I'm Nenea Reeves, and I'm CEO of TRIP. And TRIP's mission is really to use technology to uh, help people feel better. And we deliver cross-platform. We just launched our AI meditation guide in our mobile app. We turned it on 100% yesterday. We launched on Vision Pro uh, uh, on Friday, and uh, we're also live on MetaQuest and um, PlayStation VR and HTC Flow and more devices to come. And we will be extending our AI meditation guide to the Alexa platform shortly. So uh, truly cross-platform wellness. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Audio audio immersion is is often is often overlooked, but there's there's really a lot to that. Well, so yeah, Amazon has um uh they told me over 300 million Alexa installs. Uh, and so when you think about that, plus their new glasses are really cool. If anybody tried them at CES. And um, so it, it, we're into this concept of layered reality. Yeah, on, on that, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting before we get into it. Um, what like how far away do you think we are from from going from from a disembodied voice to an embodied avatars that speak to you and have and have voice and facial synchronization. I, I mean, I I don't I personally and other people may have other opinions on this. I don't think it's so binary as either or. Um, I think there are use cases for digital twins. You know, I'd like to send my digital twin to go shopping and to the tailor, et cetera. But I've played video games most of my life. And um, the, one of the things that attracts me about playing video games is not being myself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah. I get to adopt different personas, especially um, when I found that very beneficial as a young person going through a lot of um, – chaos and to be able to be a hero where I yeah. felt like everything was falling apart in my life. So I don't, I, I think like this whole concept of just thinking about VR and AR as simulating 
environments. Yeah. It, it, it kind of boxes it in ways that I think is very narrow. Um, that that was that was one of the the key lessons that stuck with me from like I guess over ten years ago in Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup. That when he was building I I envy you, which was an a start like an avatar company. Yeah, yeah. They they originally tried That's to link it. Mm -hmm. link it with uh, people's aim and they realized people didn't want to be associated with their aim. They That's wanted right. to, they wanted to <laughs> escape. Okay. So we're here to talk about market adoption. And um, I had this, I had this professor who thought there was only, there were only three things that caused mass market adoption. If technology changes massively forward in technology, uh, that's number one. If people's tastes change, like so, for instance, for example, like they don't want to wear stove stovepipe hats anymore, or if there's if there's a, a government mandate, like the government says this must must be so, you must adopt it. So we're gonna talk mainly about the first the first two, hardware like technology changes and tastes, and maybe we'll get into a little bit of government stuff. So it's kind of the gist of how I structured the, the questions uh, here today. So before we get too deep into anything else, let's talk about Apple's launch. Like what are your, what are your existing, your, what are your initial reactions to it? And um, how do you believe it's going to affect the industry? Nene, you, you shipped a, a product for, for Apple. So we did, I've shipped uh, many of Apple's new devices and they were all massive failures going to doom, be doomed you know, the end, I mean, just think about it. Like nobody was going to give up their BlackBerry keyboard when the iPhone came out or uh, the Apple watch was terrible. The iPad was terrible. Right. Um, but there was also Newton and others. So uh, I, you know, in typical Apple fashion, they're training us all on how to develop for the platform. And that's how I'm looking at this launch. Uh, there's some really amazing UX uh, advancements that they've introduced that the other platforms I haven't seen. Um, uh, give, me, do, give me some of the specifics of the UX that have really stuck for you as a, as an app developer. Well, you know, I had a lot of anxiety about there not being controllers, but the uh, intuitiveness of just looking at something and doing a little tiny hand movement. I don't, I would have expected if you told me that conceptually that I would have hand fatigue and it's not like that at all. Um, uh, and in much the same way that this was a major shift from this. <laughs> uh, and it was uh, so bad on the HoloLens too, right? Like the, mm -hmm. this, that motion, it was, it was impossible <laughs> to, to do and get right. So it, it's, yeah. So they nailed it on this and, uh, uh, and I think you're going to see more, it, it's going to be more of an evolution, right? They're, they're kind of transitioning us with windows hanging in space because we're used to windows and boxes, mm -hmm. but there's a spatial UX evolution underway. I think it's important too, for people to use tools like our company has adopted shapes XR as mm -hmm. a prototyping tool, because we really have to kind of break out of these uh, little, you know, we're still kind of stuck in browser-based thinking in UX approaches, and uh, 
uh, spatial really requires thinking about user experience differently. And you know, Apple's a company to help us define that. I think you'll see more voice activated interactions as well and haptic yeah. eventually as well. Um, uh, now that we've got computing strapped to I, our heads. <laughs> I want to, I want to dive into, into shapes and, and all of your, your build processes, how you build and ship in the, in the space a little bit more later on in the panel, but that's, sure. really, that's really fascinating. Um, so yeah. So what do you, what do you think it means for, for startups in the space, Mark, like building, building for, for Apple? I think, I think it's, it's uh, interesting. I'm glad, you know, slightly going back, I'm excited that Apple put their cards on the table because, you know, as a startup founder working with other founders, maybe on the software side, there's a lot of uncertainty of like, is Apple going to come out and knock it out of the park and make one device that suits everybody? And I think Nenea hit it on a nail on the head there that it's like all technology through time, whether it's cell phones or home computers, there's this journey the customer has to go through some things are going to work and some things aren't and you know to get uh you know app developers exploring different interactions going to be really important to mm -hmm. guide you know other hardware manufacturers like yeah in our case you know we're more of the say android of ar we want to be more open than a closed platform which is really important to have more than one option out there but we're watching you know what happens with uh, their device very closely. Um, it is interesting though. I mean, Apple has backed themselves into a corner at a quality bar that's expected that's so high that um, I suspect there were some uh, cutting edge things they left out in the early days because, yeah. you know, you know, it's too dangerous for them right. to put those out. Yeah. In just one second, but I, I have a, I have a kind of a follow-up for you there, Jerry. Um, the the uh, famous Apple Super Bowl ad, the 1984 one. The Super Bowl is coming, right? That was 40 years ago. So, do you do you do you think that Apple's gonna really kind of go big this Super Bowl and do something that's gonna lift up the whole industry like that did for the the personal computer? I, I personally hope so. I mean, it really is good to have that validation that you know a mega corporation like that is validating what we're all doing. Um, I don't know. If you look back at the history of Apple, it took them a little while to build to that that moment. And they typically follow strongly after others have kind of refined the markets. Like, you know, the UI and the original Macintosh was, you know, around for a long time and on other computers. And right. they refined it. And yeah. then they did their smashing the screen with a hammer. I'm not sure we're there in XR quite yet, but it's coming soon. Yeah, I hope I hope to see it. Uh, so, Mark, what do you what do you think? I think we also shouldn't forget about Meta uh, and the Meta Quest. It was the best selling console uh, for Christmas. Um, you know, the Apple Vision Pro. It's named Pro for a reason. It's extremely expensive. It's the first product Apple's launched which actually has Pro in the name um, first before yeah, anything else. So they are obviously going for the high end first, and then they're going to bring out a mass market product later, which will be a direct competitor to the MetaQuest. Um, but you can see the adoption of spatial computing, if we want to call it like that. Um, obviously, MetaQuest, Meta is still dominating there. Um, and I think the 
the opportunity for startups, for me, obviously, been working in 3D and the metaverse for many years now. I was, you know, I worked on AR at least 10 years ago where we used to have to print out QR codes on a printer, put it on a table and then try and get your webcam somehow to track the QR code and then show a model in AR. Mm -hmm. We've come a long way there where now AR has been fully adopted, right? So the technology's got better and better. Um, and this opportunity now is it's a whole new dimension in how we're going to be interacting. Um, and I think it's a positive one. So I think how, for, for us, not in particular, you know, we're building fully immersive, fully rigged, high quality avatars that you will be able to sit next to using Apple Vision Pro. And you'll yeah, be able to and I notice you've, you've got some some physics in there and the hair. Are you using the, the VRM format or how are, you, how are you pulling that off for the web? When the character yeah, we're there. using VRM and it's all fully blend shaped. So it's the AR kit also that Apple is using. Yeah. And that's the biggest challenge with making fully rigged avatars is um, creating fully rigged avatars is, is, the, is the biggest challenge. But so your your you know, avatars look your avatars look awesome. The system avatars, I'm I'm just gonna say it. The system avatars on the, the Quest Pro, everybody said they're garbage. I also say that the the Vision Pro personas like people say they want lifelike avatars of themselves that look super realistic you i don't think you can do that without crossing in, in into the uncanny valley i just want something that looks like it's a character out of arcane right yeah like i mean what, what so the, uh, uh, we were giving us we do 30 live groups a week yeah. In, in worlds on all different platforms we even have a meditate after mayhem and pop one Right. And sometimes people want to show up as a stick of butter, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. and I, we have noticed that in our grief groups, that kind of anonymity actually allows, especially yeah. men to open yeah. up more uh, emotionally in ways that they wouldn't, if they were representing themselves and they were feeling seen by other people. So I think, you know, there, there, again, I go back to, it's not always about simulation. Mm -hmm. Do we, do we need this type of avatar interoperability and flexibility for system avatars for, for people to adopt the technology? Like on a system standpoint, do you think we need it? I, so we're working on VRM. Um, so we believe in the interoperability of VRM. I think what, what we're touching on is obviously an avatar that represents you in in real life. And I don't think that's the way to go. I agree with Nania that the way to go is to allow people to create their alias, the same that's as right. you do on Reddit, on Discord. You don't use your real name. You yeah. create another version of yourself. And right. I think like video calling, um, re recreating how, how Apple have approached this is trying to recreate you as an avatar. I think there has to be, you know, you, you, we're finding a lot more spatial video now. I think that's the way forward in terms of calling and um, uh -huh. having more higher quality video to be representing yourself. But then you yeah. choose an avatar to represent represent yourself more in VR um, and AR gaming. I mean, just even remember when YouTube uh, started to require that you post your real name in the comments and the... Yeah. 
the backlash that exploded. I mean, in many ways, that anonymity is inherent to online communities yeah. in many forms. It can lead to a lot of toxicity as well, um, but it is also part of the appeal too. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the hardware. Um, I guess the 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 first thing the first thing I think we should explain for for this audience, and maybe Jerry, you can you can do this, is Apple's headsets as as well as the Quest headsets are using uh, they're they're using video pass through. It's different than 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 optics, right? Can you can you explain the difference between optical augmented reality and vision pass through so that people here understand? Absolutely. You know, um, at Till Five, we're using a transmissive type um, experience where light from the real world goes straight to the user's eyes, and um, you know, there's no latency involved with that. Um, Apple and Meta they've chosen to do video pass through. Uh, where they have a camera, which then reproduces it, tries to warp it into the right position as if the light was in coming, the cameras were inside your eyes, which is really challenging on its own. Um, but it allows them to do some uh, really nice visual effects that isn't possible right now um, with completely transmissive, you know, optical systems. And so the really the holy grail is to come up with, you know, glasses that are as thin as yours, that have displays that are as immersive as VR and can block the you know parts of the real world or all the real world. That's really far out in the future because of the laws of physics. You just can't yeah. bend light that fast, you know, inside of a little thin piece of glass. You know, in our case, we did a really clever system where we turned the optics inside out. There's a game board you roll on the table, which gives us, you know, one of the widest field of view out there and lends itself to this group experience where you gather around like a campfire and you have this magic spilling out. But um, we're gonna see, you know, over the next five to 10 years, innovations in those space. Um, I think ultimately video pass-through is a dead end road because there's just some fundamental limitations like the dynamic range of cameras are limited, their fixed focus, the, um, the lenses in front of your eyes going to the displays are fixed focus. So you, for me, even you know, Vision Pro, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience, and a lot of people feel that way. And I, the years and years working at Valve Software and other places to try to solve video pass-through, I just don't think that is solvable. Um, but good news is there's a lot of utility with it, and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of companies are going to find interesting things to do with video pass-through. Yeah, the one thing too I was um, really impressed with is how quickly from the Quest 2 pass-through uh, launch to Apple Vision Pro, the, the real-world mapping is spectacular, mm -hmm. right? And Sony PlayStation was kind of a major step forward in that, but I think Apple's has taken it to another level. Yeah. And we haven't even explored what we can do with that from an innovation standpoint on experience with that pass-through view, even just for our use case of trying to help you feel better. Um, uh, but I, 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 it was kind of, that's one of those things that I look at and I go, it was really slow moving. And then all of a sudden it really advanced quickly, just like AI as well. Like we saw it kind of, 
it's rolling along and then all of a sudden the snowball, you know, got of course, really of course big. there's pen penalties to that too, which, you know, you're hearing about complaints from the Vision Pro, the weight, the cost, you yeah. know, things like that. It takes a lot of processing to do that. And, you know, Moore's Law over time will, you know, make that better. Um, some of those things, you know, aren't going to happen in the five to 10 year range. I think, you know, a lot of people complained about like a wire on the device. You know, I don't think we're going to get away from the wire on these. How can you? High performance devices um, yeah. for quite some time. Battery technology is not there yet. Yeah, yeah, I do think though cloud rendering can really help accelerate that. Having spent time at Gaikai, you know, which was acquired by Sony, and this was like 10 years ago, what we were doing with cloud rendering um, was very early. And I think if you can get edge hosting of our applications with GPU in the cloud, combined with what Qualcomm shipping this year with a local GPU yep. on the devices, whether it's uh, handheld or on the headsets, to be able to, it's a different way to code applications. Mm -hmm. You have to create really thin clients that are much more about traffic shaping. Like how do you deal with drop packets and kind yeah. of interpolate that on the client. But However, I, it's really challenging though. I mean, the level of world mapping that these devices are doing consumes a lot of power and a lot of MIPS out of these processors. Right. So, and but you're going to need that for, you're going to need GPU on the edge for AI. And I think that that's going to accelerate that very rapidly. Like you look at the Alexa glasses and what the infrastructure that Amazon's rolling out right now. And, you know, they power the 5G edge for all the CDMA operators, right? Verizon, KDDI. And, we may find that spatial will benefit from the requirements of AI GPU processing that people are going to need to get real time fast tr transactions on information. Uh, I think, and, and I, think we'll so, see. I wouldn't we'll, ignore that. We'll probably see a lot with, with uh, companion apps running on a, a high powered machine. That's, that's on your, your local Wi-Fi too. I mean, it, I, Eventually, yeah, yeah. Uh, Verizon's doing some stuff with home routers right now that kind of creates sort of a an edge in the this house. This might actually be the the killer app for all this edge computing. That was the yeah. the hype That's ten right. years ago, and so much money went into it; it never really materialized. No, but I think AI is going to push it, and then spatial will benefit from it, mm -hmm. and, and that. This is why I think it could, Jerry, happen a lot sooner. Trip did a, and, and a lot of people are working on it, right? You got Amazon, you got, even Google has all that Stadia infrastructure that if it were made part of Google Cloud would facilitate a lot of this, right? I, and yeah, you cannot forget about the actual, the actual compute to run the headset. That's what my point is. That is going to take you know, decades to get um, yeah. to where we really want it. And it's just like cell phones too. They were huge, right. you know, for the longest time. Yeah. You know, and then we got the Zoolander version and then. <laughs> the, the, the cigarette papers for the, for the optical glasses that, you know, they figured out, they figured out a lot of the math for it, but they don't have like the, the laws of physics don't, don't comply yeah. for the battery. You know, it's, it's, it's Microsoft's got, 
very interesting stuff in the works that if they figure out this other stuff, if they make, if they make the right, you know, like uh, the right, the right processor for it in the future, like we'll, we'll have it. Right. But I've, I've been trying to argue with, with my friends in the optical um, space that, you know, there's Moore's law for semiconductor. We need Moore's law for the optical side too. Yeah. You know, what's the rate we can um, shrink optics down to hit form factors that we really want? And it's not the same timeline as doubling every year, which is right. Uh, sometimes so overlooked. This, this this brings me to to like to to my question about like the mainstream adoption. So right. you have that classic. Uh, curve of of adoption that that was made famous in in uh, crossing the the chasm uh, by by more Jeff Jeffrey Moore uh, I think so are we are we past that innovator stage stage it goes innovator early adopter early majority where where do you think we are now in spatial we still an innovator I, I, Mark he's been in it for a long time <laughs> I'm very I'm really curious. Um, as, as I mentioned before, you know, the MetaQuest was the biggest selling console for Christmas, obviously the Apple Vision Pro. However, the metric that is really important is engagement, right? And how long people are using mm -hmm. these applications for, um, how, like, are they just gathering dust in people's cupboards nowadays, right? And do you, you need those killer apps. You need the beat sabers to get people. Well, I'm happy back. to say that. 40% of our our premium paying users last month been using trip 12 months or longer. Awesome. So we have uh, worked really hard on repeat usage driving. It requires ongoing content updates, but we also use our mobile app as well as the augmented reality rewards that we've been giving. Uh, since the Oculus Quest Pro or MetaQuest Pro launched um, uh, using the pass-through, that doubled our daily active usage within the seven-day period. So you really have to build that into the design of the application, but also because VR is still something you have to opt in to put on your head. It's not a ubiquitous device yet for you. Having our mobile app from the day we launched in December of 2019 has been really um, uh, needed because we can push reminders to you, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah you have to design that, though. It just should be an open gray. Do you, do you think all spatial developers should consider a multi-device strategy right now? Well, I mean, if you want regular ongoing engagement, you have to figure out how do you reach the user outside a headset in, in your product design. Uh, and that's just like any any live service, right? You, you have to figure out how do you keep your, um, what's the incentives for usage, right? We know that in the games industry. Hope and pray is not a great retention strategy. I, I so have... True. I have about two dozen two dozen more questions I want to ask you guys that I've that I've written out. So this is I'm going to make a proposal. I didn't discuss this with you ahead of time, so uh -oh. I hope you say it. So this is this is what I propose. Right? I I propose I put these questions out on X, Twitter, whatever we call it these days, and maybe we keep it going there. Yeah, sound good. All right. So I'm, I'm I'm Michael Gold. Everybody's on Twitter, kind of almost as their their names. Mark, you're on Twitter as what Mark. Uh, Stud home underscore avatar one or something. 
Anyway, I'm just Michael Gold. I'll share the chat. And I'll put I'm at Nenea. Yeah, I, I was an early Twitterer. <laughs> and Jerry Ellsworth. Awesome. So we'll, we'll put that out there. Um, but before we go, let's talk about let's talk about startups and investing. So we've been in this. We've all been in this space for a while. Um, what what have you guys seen this cycle with regards to fundraising? And what do you think investors uh, who are looking at the ARVR space, how can they tell the the good companies from that are worth investing in from from the ones that are building, uh, as Paul Graham says, perpetual motion machines, aka things that can't really be built? Well, I mean, we're we're just kicking off a Series B fundraise right now, and uh, so we have unit economics that you can look at. We have mm-hmm. an understanding of our retention, our LTV to CAC is positive, and so you know we have we have repeat usage, we have the numbers, and uh, we're at the point now where Meta is not the only player, uh, and so. And then you've got Google and Samsung working together on something and uh, more devices coming online. So you can kind of look at the model and see, you know, is this something you believe in or not? Uh, I certainly do. I'm all in. And I've had, you know, a, a good track record with instinct on where to lean into before, uh, you know, at a point where everybody said no one will ever play a game on their cell phone. Why would anybody want to watch someone else play a video game? I would never buy something I don't actually own. Right. Mark, Jer- just, Jerry, you know, any, any thoughts? That's, that's awesome. By the way, Instant. we're also raising a round right now. I want to throw it. that out while we have a few seconds, but I think defensibility and, you know, practice, you know, a practical product. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there and people just grifting. So mm-hmm. something that has the uh, ability to go the long haul and can actually service the um, vertical markets that are emerging right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. for us, it, the combination of AI with AR and VR and spatial computing is, is what we're focusing on in our discussions with investors too, um, but also having revenue um yeah. we have a real clear path to revenue uh we are great we are making revenue and um yeah i think it, it's definitely a more difficult market than it was a few years ago uh liquidity is not there um a lot of investors sitting on their hands um but yeah if you can show that you're clearly making revenue i think there's plenty of opportunities for investors too awesome yeah i mean it's Thank always you. been a difficult market though for being um a founder who looks different than other founders. That's the sad reality of Yeah, so we're kind of used to it. <laughs> I would say you Nene and guys, I probably have to pitch a hundred times more than others, which is really sure. Yeah. We, we sure. appreciate but you guys being people here. People like and, Drew and, and Michael, Redbeard, you know, that have yeah. Bitcraft, Mayfield, who saw our worth, you know, super grateful to, yeah, super grateful. Thank you guys thank for, you to for Red being Beard here. Too. And I, I look, thank you to Redbeard, the, the Redbeard team for putting this uh, together. Uh, it's really awesome to be to be on, on stage with such amazing pioneers in the space. We'll keep it going for you on X. Uh, wish we had more time to, to talk, but it's it's good to be fast too. So take care, everyone. See you thank all you. On Bye. Thanks, guys.
This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.